millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. One, two, three, four, five. Why is there, like, salad items on top of the chips? Well, it was actually a fish and chips, but I've already had the fish. (laughs) (laughs) They do fish and chips? Is that? they do fish and chips. So that's debris from the now extinct fish? Yes. Yeah. Right. What a night. What a night here at the Australian Open. It has been incredible. We've had Rafael Nadal beating Nick Kyrgios in a really, really entertaining match over four sets. So we've got that to talk about uh, while we sit here with our six beers and our two plates of chips. Uh, we've got Stan Wawrinka knocking out Daniel Medvedev. We've got Simona Halep. We've got we've got Garbanyi Muguruza rolling back the years and, and beating Kiki Burtons. We've got Alexander Zverev getting to a quarterfinal without dropping a set. You what? So we got all that, and we've got an interview with Goran Ivanisevic about life with Novak Djokovic. He gives us chapter and verse about what it is like coaching Novak Djokovic and his role. That is all coming up on this edition of the Tennis Podcast. Before we do that, though, I'm going to tell you about our episode sponsor, the Queen's Club. The Fever Tree Championships are sponsoring this episode of the Tennis Podcast, which is lovely for us because we've all got, got a bit of a, a vested interest in the, uh, the Fever Tree Championships, as you all well know, because I'm the media director. Catherine's worked at it for years and now presents Amazon Prime video coverage of it. Matt looks after the entirety of the social media for that tournament, so we all love it anyway. And Keith Prowse, who look after the hospitality at uh, the tournament have got in touch and they have sent me all the details of their packages for this year and I want to go and sample them all uh, but I'm going to be working so I'm going to tell you a lot about them very quickly before we get started on this edition of the tennis podcast Um, basically you know the tournament it's the one before Wimbledon on the grass courts arguably the best grass courts in the world certainly some of the best at Queen's loads of great players Andy Murray and Feliciano Lopez winning the doubles last year and Murray's won it five times of course and has got a career long commitment to the event so hopefully if he's fit he'll be back Keith Prowse what they do is they lay on the wonderful hospitality experiences you can go and wine and dine yourself in a lovely VIP area you can get premium seats on centre court you can have there's five different restaurants or suite settings if you if you choose the type of thing you want whether it's formal or private or shared uh, with friends or 
corporate clients, whatever you want, they've got the lot and you are guaranteed to make sure you get a courtside seat, which given that they go pretty quickly is worth having. So go and have a look on our show notes, scroll down right now. You can see what they've got to offer. There's a link there. And if you want to go and have a VIP day out at the Fever Tree Championships, you can do that. Can we do that? I mean, I can't do that. Can you do that? But I'd love to. No, I spend my week at Queen's in a lovely room with lovely people but without any windows and I very rarely venture outdoors well maybe we should just give ourselves all a day off the violins out and go down to the hospital I've walked through the hospitality area once or twice over the last 20 years and thought one day one day I'm going to do this because uh, it looks really 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 <laughs> nice um, anyway so that's that um, what a day we've had let's start with the match that we've just witnessed which I felt was unlike any of their previous matches. In terms of match score symmetry, it was identical to the Wimbledon one. It was 6-3, 3-6, 7-6, 7-6 to Rafael Nadal, exactly as it was at Wimbledon. And yet it could not have been more different in terms of feel as a match. Here's where I'm coming from. At Wimbledon, it was full of animosity. It was full of aggravation. Now, I love that, right? But I, I, I actually loved tonight more because we saw Nick Kyrgios almost embody Rafael Nadal in the way he went about his business. He ran every single ball down. He gave unconditional effort for three and a half hours, two days after putting four and a half hours in. And I loved it seeing that. I absolutely loved it as well. I did say to Catherine afterwards, is it bad that I preferred the more aggro, heavy match at Wimbledon? Because that, that's how I felt. I, I have to say I'm surprised to hear you say that, David. I found it genuinely uplifting to see Nick Kyrgios Agreed. do something that he's never done before because he's always had a trick up his sleeve. He's always caused chaos. He's, and, and I love the chaos, don't get me wrong, but, I, but this was new. This was him putting his heart on his sleeve for the cause, for the cause of trying to win the match. And, and haven't you always found yourself thinking, what would it be like if Nick Kyrgios gave everything? And tonight we found out. Yeah, and I loved that too. I really did. And uh, I loved most of what he had to say about it afterwards and what Nadal had to say about him. And I'm, I 100% agree with you. But I just hope that there's a world in the future in which he does that and there's also room for just a little bit more aggro. <laughs> of course there is. Yeah, I mean, you don't think he, you don't think As he, I say, I feel like he's, he's giving himself a margin for error at the moment. I feel like w- with the aggro. You don't think he can keep this up, do you? <laughs> like, come on. He's not going to do this every match. No, I was I, I was so. all prepared to say absolutely not. Let's not let's see this in isolation and not expect anything. You know the standard Kyrgios, you know post Kyrgios success patter. See post Washington 2019, and then we went to his press conference, and some of what he had to say <coughs> convinced me just a little bit. I mean, he w- wasn't wanting to he wasn't as eager as I thought he would be to dampen down expectations of the future in terms of this being a a watershed and also I think the reality for Kyrgios and the reality for Australia is that these bushfires are still going on it's it's not a thing that the Australian opens over and therefore this issue is over in Kyrgios's mind and I still think as long as he's got that on his mind 
perhaps he can continue thinking that even though it's not in Australia I mean I'd also point out Matt because Kyrgios would want me to his Australian Open is not over this is true because the theme of the whole press conference was I'm still in the mixed doubles <laughs> and that you know he's asked about his, his sh- sh- schedule going forward he said well I'm, I'm down to play New York and Delray Beach but we'll see about that all I'm thinking about now is the mixed <laughs> I Look, I, when I say there's n- he can't keep this up, I, I actually think there is a chance now that he, he can build on this, that this could be a platform for him to, to do more. But before we get into that, let's just talk about the match itself, because I think it deserves that. The, the first set, Nadal was brilliant for most of the match, actually. I felt he... I mean, there were some messy bits, there were some bits where he put some unforced errors in which I when I wasn't expecting them but for the most part he just knuckled down and made life difficult for Kyrgios and the first set was comfortable 6-3 half an hour second set Kyrgios just he held on didn't he at the start of that second set there were multiple break points and it all turned I thought he saved a he saved a break point with a rally that included a tweener yeah. And I thought it all turned after that. Suddenly, he got himself going. He got some spark. He came onto the court pretty flat, I thought, in that first yeah. set. I mean, we should probably point out the the wider context of, of this match. Yeah, is, we really should. Is the, is the tragic death of Kobe Bryant and, yeah. and, this is and something his daughter. We, we heard overnight... And the other seven people yeah. in yeah. the helicopter. We heard overnight this morning, woke up to this news, and, I mean, the the, the entire tennis world stopped for this news um Kobe Bryant if you didn't know apart, apart from all of this is obviously his fame and his stardom and uh, an incredible sporting career in basketball is a huge tennis fan and came to the US Open and had pitches with all the players sat in Naomi Osaka's um, support team when she played and uh, and, he, and has, has got to know a lot of the players he wrote a a, a children's book about tennis aimed at young girls inspired really? by his daughter in tennis and, mm. and by all accounts it was it's really good that's yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, we, yeah, it's yeah. not it's somebody that you know one of these celeb people that liked coming to the tennis and having his picture taken no. with tennis players genuine love of this and, sport, and let's I be think. honest Kobe Bryant is a bigger name than ten, than probably all the tennis players really mm-hmm. in in many ways maybe maybe you might say Serena and Federer um, are, are similar but you know it's in America certainly basketball completely overshadows tennis in terms of awareness he he was coming for the love of the game and uh and people were I mean, people worldwide are devastated of course they are. how can you not be about news like that um but it really hit uh, a lot of the players i think very hard and uh Kyrgios in particular a huge basketball fan himself i think two days earlier he'd come to his press conference in an la lakers vest uh, and shirt, shirt as it was even though he's a boston celtics fan yeah well i think I and think, he was practicing in one the other day as well yeah. yeah and and he came out onto the court today in the kobe bryant shirt number eight um and he, he went through the entire knock-up in it we thought for a while that he might even play the match in it um and he changed but he got he'd got tears in his eyes when he sat oh, down his, his um his lip was quivering. He, he was crying. Yeah. He was crying. And it, it was very, very moving to, to see that. And, and it's not surprising. I mean, it's human nature anyway, but he, he's shown himself to be somebody who is touched by a lot of things other than just his own situation. And he said in his press conference that he was 
inspired by it today. Uh, mm-hmm. I think everyone everyone knew it would affect him. I don't think anyone quite knew how. He might, I don't think anyone would have been that surprised if it had completely overwhelmed him and it would have been a really difficult thing to deal with. But he, um, he said he used it as motivation when he was down in that match. He thought of Kobe Bryant and the, the values he stood for. Um, and he was he was really really strong and really good about he that. Specifically referenced the fourth set, didn't he? he said mm. when I was a breakdown in the fourth set, I thought about Kobe and what he um, what yeah what he stood for and wow. yeah, it was and very then, interesting. And Rafa Nadal spoke very very um, from the heart as well afterwards. Novak Djokovic, I saw two days ago, had been in the ESPN studio talking about Kobe Bryant yeah. and how inspired he was by him and how they'd spent a little bit of time together. And and so, you know, it's just a measure of how devastated uh, people are and, and, and will be over the next couple of days. So that I, I was interested to see how Kyrgios handled that because he seemed so tired in that first set and, and a bit overwhelmed by, by everything. Um, and obviously he'd got four hours and 27 minutes in his legs. Well, then, except he said he felt fine physically. But whatever was going on in that, that first set, I don't think it was due to those four hours, 27 minutes. Right. I mean, there was no reason just now in the press conference for him to bluster well, about how on. he is physically. If anything, it would have been a, a get-out to say. Mm. It, it, he said he he was up for it if it had gone to five. Early on, he, physically had, was okay. he had no timing early on. That was what I noticed. And I, the one thing that occurred to me was all of his other three matches are played on the Melbourne Arena. Suddenly he comes out onto the Rod Laver Arena, different feel completely as, a, as, a, as a, an arena and as a sound. Yes, people were into it or, or, or giving him a good reception, but it's nothing like that ground pass um, spec- bunch of spectators out on Melbourne Arena. Uh, the visuals are going to be different. and, and he There's no backpackers. No. And I think no. also part of it is, is mental, I think. He has completely convinced himself that Melbourne Arena is his his turf yeah and i mm. think he then goes out onto the rod laver arena and goes oh well this isn't uh, this isn't the same and it affects his ability to be alpha i think mm. because yeah. on melbourne arena it, it turf, isn't guy. it he's weed all over that place yeah. in to use a dog and david just looks at me like oh my god what she just said it's a dog thing david i'm with you don't worry um and um the the thing is, Nadal, by contrast, has weed all over the Rod Laver Arena yeah. <laughs> in terms of territoriality because <laughs> he's never off there, is he? And so it's his turf. Uh, this has taken a turn I did not expect, but, you know, I, it all makes sense, folks. Um, and the timing on the backhand, you, 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 it always seems such a reliable shot, doesn't it, Kyrgios' backhand? It might not damage players in the way that his forehand can and his, and his drop shot can, but it's always reliable. In the first game or two, he dumped three of them halfway up the net, or mm. one on one long, and uh, and it was you could see it certainly from where we were court level, you know, just how he was miscuing the backhand. I was very familiar to me, <laughs> but, but for a player of his standard, not. I, I, and yeah, and I feel like that backhand is so important when he plays Nadal because it's so. I mean, it, because of the short take back on it and the way he just seems to bunt it. It always seems surprising, even yeah. if it's just a routine mm. shot. Something about it just always seems like, oh, that backhand's come out of nowhere. And disrupting Nadal, as we know, I mean, whether it be via aggro or via your tennis, 
is so important. I just feel like that backhand is just by its very nature disrupting. And, and that's the word I thought, disrupting, because he wasn't doing that in the first set and he started doing it in the second set, but not with his attitude or not with his personality. It was with his tennis. Yeah. And that was fun to see. And because if Kyrgios doesn't do that, if he doesn't mess Nadal around, Nadal is one of the few players who Kyrgios isn't better than yeah. in terms of just the basic fundamentals of tennis when you consider the whole package. Because Nadal can move better, he hits his forehand better, he's more physical, dynamic in the rallies. And his backhand is destructive. And his backhand's destructive. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Kyrgios needs to bring a bit of that chaos in terms of tennis to bear, to, to to beat Nadal and he started doing that from the second set onwards and he pretty much carried it through for the rest of the match which he didn't do at Wimbledon that was mm. one of the biggest differences I thought he did well, it in the second set at Wimbledon he was full of explosions at, at Wimbledon arguing with the umpire etc exactly. et he, he messed Nadal up that way yeah. which was, Got him maybe, angry. was maybe more fun went for the body line yeah. Yes. Flat and, then, yeah. and then came into press after and said, Yeah, it was Amy Adam. Yeah. yeah. It was <laughs> He's won loads of Grand Slam titles, he's won millions of dollars. Yeah. If you can't take that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Not his best comment ever, but no. um it was quite fun. I did enjoy that, but I admired Kyrgios more today with the, for the way he was able well, me to too. commit and sustain Thing is, that style. I've had my fill of Nick Kyrgios fireworks and chaos and circus we've had it for six years and he's got nowhere really with it in terms of actually achieving anything it's great fun but it's kind of ultimately meaningless tonight felt meaningful Mm. Mm. i feel like he's grown a bit tired of himself as well yeah i agree with you um but the other two things i wanted to say is one is being down where we are at the end of the points when they finish the player down our end and we are on the end of the court walks towards us to get the towel and you see their reaction to whatever's just happened the number of times Kyrgios laughed at how brilliant Nadal is it was it was comical mm. you know things that Kyrgios was doing to stay in points were miraculous and yet Nadal would hit sidelines and then hit the other sideline and then do it a third time and Kyrgios just was how how can he do that? How can he ke- how can he keeps doing that? It's 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 crazy, and yeah. the look on his face was was just such a tell, uh, an entertaining one, you know, and a, and one of huge respect, really. And it, it, yeah, I mean the comment the comments from both of them after the match, it was just it was just a love it. It was yeah. <laughs> it was it was a disappointing love in. I mean not disappointing. I'm as delighted as you are. To I just uh, at what Kyrgios showed tonight and need, I'm, I'm being sides. facetious but I I I feel like there's just room in the future there's room for that plus just a little bit of aggro look he's going to fall out with somebody isn't he <laughs> he's just made up with Nadal it's like the films isn't it you know yeah, with a happy ending we now need him to be drawn in Djokovic's half yes <laughs> I also would like to I mean I'm, I'm sure we'll take a bit of time to, to pay tribute to Nadal but I I know this is nothing new, but the fact that I'm still struck by it, despite it being nothing new, is amazing in itself. Just Nadal. I mean, some of the stuff that that Kyrgios has said about Nadal in the past year is. I mean, he would be completely validated in just regardless of what attitude Nick Kyrgios shows on the court, just hating him forevermore. You know, he's 
he's said some. He's been out of order. He's been out of order. He said some <laughs> not good stuff. About Entertaining, but if you were absolutely, doubt, you'd be well in your rights to think. Well, absolutely, you, and he really genuinely only seems to care about the greater good of tennis. Tonight, he only had good things to say about Nick Kyrgios and just said, yeah, if he, if he plays like that and respects tennis, I love him. I'm yeah, all well, for him. What, what he, said, he, he, said, he said, I've watched all of his matches so far this tournament. He said, I love watching Nick Kyrgios. And what, what and was just, just on court, he how said? Big, I mean, he's so much bigger of a person than I would be. I would just <laughs> never be prepared to say anything good about Nick Kyrgios for the rest of my life if he had said that sort of stuff about me. I just wouldn't have it in me. What was it? What and was he's it? just, he just cares about tennis. And I just... just it intimidates me how big a person he is. I need to, I need to go and do some Nick Kyrgios style working on myself, <laughs> becoming a better human. Um, the the quote at the end to on the court was, "I like the Nick Kyrgios we've seen at this tournament," and I thought that really does sum it up very well because suddenly Nadal could relate to Kyrgios on the court because Kyrgios was behaving pretty much like Nadal during the rallies he was he was almost impersonating Nadal As in, in, in set four uh, when he was when he was knackered and he was turning and he managed to turn it around he played a few rallies as if he was Nadal he would smash his backhand cross court to try and get him out of court and then he would stand in that corner so he could be running around the back the, for, the backhand to the forehand and whip it the other way and he was trying to do to Nadal what Nadal had spent two and a half hours doing to him and it was it was just so fascinating to watch yeah crucially he was impersonating the good bits yes. and not mm. the service motion yeah, yeah. as he was doing the other day he um yeah well we we've always said before before that you know i was i've always felt like with Kyrgios that his his subconscious has been saying to him if you don't 100% try then you can't 100% fail well I felt like he did 100% try tonight and I don't think anybody here would say that he failed no no, no I, th- I thought the whole thing was just a massive triumph and um, and it, in the nicest way a continuation of what he showed two nights ago against Hachinov and um, it needed this because his career is going nowhere really isn't it um, if, if he doesn't and which is fine if he doesn't if he's not bothered he often he's often said uh, there are more important things which there are his career um, is going into the mixed doubles tomorrow david yeah. that's no, no. Do not what he would be keen to tell you but crikey just imagine if we could have a bit more of this he he this is the trap david well <laughs> i was no, it is. i mean i've got it good is, evi- i've got good evidence though you know of of what he can do now i was no you've got one tournament yeah We've Never had one tournament before. I'm not saying you're wrong, <laughs> not, but this not, is the not trap. At the, not at the slam. We've, We've never had this at a slam. 2014 Wimbledon. Yeah, that, that was just fireworks. That wasn't this. Yeah, this was different. This was. Di- I this agree it was different, and I, I'm not saying I disagree. I just... I, this is also, this is also I'm very aware of the trap. And look, you know, the next... I'm as hopeful as you are. How you I get just, to the next... I mean, this was a bit like his period of Indian Wells Miami in 2016 mm. um, uh, and 17 or 17 and it and obviously that didn't lead to anything substantial um, and that's the problem it, 
there are periods of nothingness in the tennis calendar and yeah if I were the tournament directors of New York um, and New York Delray Beach and Acapulco which is what he cited as his next scheduled events I wouldn't be feeling 100% confident (laughs) based on what he said in tonight's press conference I just I was struck watching that match I was thinking how does Kyrgios beat Nadal in a in a big match in a Grand Slam and I think my overwhelming feeling was that he needs to get there more and fail more and then he'll know how to do it I just think these like sits a pass I just think these one-off matches if he's getting there every now and again he's not going to be able to beat Nadal I'm going to rehash something I said at Wimbledon but Nadal was asked in his press conference just now about the fact that he's won the four tie breaks against um, Kyrgios two here and two at Wimbledon and he kind of said there's no real reason for it I can't explain it I just have and I think he's he's massively underplaying the fact that he is so used to these high pressure situations it's that it's that quote that Jill Ellis the US coach the former US coach of the women's football team in the States said that we some teams visit pressure we live there and Nadal lives in high-pressure situations, so he's going to perform better in those tie-breaks. Kyrgios doesn't play many matches of real high stakes. He plays them every now and again. And I think if he can put himself in this position more, he will start winning. He'll, he'll fail. He'll, he won't fail, but he'll lose more. But then eventually he'll learn what it takes to win those tie-breaks. And that's breaks. the thing. Those, the ones he plays in Acapulco and... and Washington. He can do it. He can do it, and it, but it's not that big a deal either no. way, is it? Let's be honest. No. Um, they're, they're good tournaments, but when he gets to these, everybody else is peaking, and something happens, and Kyrgios lets, lets himself down. And he has not let himself down at all at this tournament. No. And it was just, just to one more thing on the dial. What, what just struck me was that third set tie break. Kyrgios double faulted at 5 all. Nadal double faulted at 6-5 and then the next point Nadal played was one of the best points he played in the whole match his ability to just immediately put that double fault behind him is unique I think completely unique I just he then played the gutsiest point came forward finished it with a quite a difficult high backhand volley and I just thought that right there is is the big is the biggest difference between them yeah I think it's, you're because right. Kyrgios' tennis is great. It's not quite as good as Nadal's, but the massive difference comes. Nadal's just able to deal with those situations better because mm. he plays them more, I think. So Nadal against Dominic Team in the next round because Team has beaten Gael Monfils pretty handily today. It, when you think of it in those terms, this is a heck of a draw. Nadal's got to come it really through, is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it feels like that should be a semi-final. How can that be a quarter-final? It feels and, and unfair. The, he, it, incidentally, that Monfils uh, team match, Nadal confessed just now to having watched pretty much all of that. And that would have been in the build-up to his um, his night session match tonight. I found that interesting. Straight sets for team. V- yes, very, really. Very routine. Really very good. straight sets. Very yeah. straight sets, yeah. yeah. Uh, Despite an underarm serve from... Monfils. And that was the thing, Monfils didn't bring anything different to the court apart from that one underarm serve. You're waiting for him. He's lost eight sets in a row against team. He lo- often loses these big matches. What's he going to do differently? 
it just wasn't really anything and team's just a better player than yeah. Monfils yeah and afterwards team came into his press conference and Matt Roberts went to it I did yes and I obviously wanted to ask him about why he stopped working with Thomas Muster just a week after two weeks after he started working with Thomas Muster um, so I asked him and he said it, the first thing he said is nothing bad's happened he was, he was keen to stress that and he said it's just a feeling I have that it wasn't going to work so I pressed him and I said why have you got that feeling what is that feeling and he said well I'm 26 now and I just think I know my career and I just know when something doesn't feel right which I thought was quite a mature answer really because there were a lot of people who thought that maybe he stayed with Gunter Bresnik a little bit too long mm. that that partnership had run its course long maybe a year or so before he actually decided to split with him and take on Masu so I thought it was quite a mature answer and then he said and actually he's really happy with his team that he's got it's worked really well so then I wanted to ask well why did you want muster in the first place if you're happy with your team and it was working well and I was cut off by the press conference moderator oh that's in your prime mm. um, I mean look I think most of the people who, who run the press conferences here are really good um, and are very experienced um, I'm not sure who the particular person was in that instance I think in that you know, and look, I think when, when a player is being kind of or harassed about a particular subject that they've made it clear they don't want to talk about. At some point, I've moderated a lot of press conferences, at some point you, you do have to step in and say, look, the player doesn't want to answer any of this anymore, let's, let's move on to something else. Um, I read the transcript of, of, of the presser there and, and Dominic sounded as though he was fine with it um, in that particular instance, so uh, that's, that's unfortunate. Um, he's, do, do you feel two days away from that match do you feel that he has a real chance against Nadal yes I mean yes. Mark, Mark Woodford was saying yes. that he, he felt that he has less of a chance on this surface against Nadal and that Nadal's form is really fine tuned now having had this match but, but so is teams what was the less chance on this surface compared to I think probably compared to clay I guess really? um, oh see, I feel I the opposite don't see but, that. but I see I think I think the biggest thing is I think we've talked about this before that yeah team might be better on clay but Nadal is so much better on oh, clay that, yeah. that he ends up it's, widening it's closer the on this surface team is a better clay court player than he is hard court player without a doubt but Nadal on clay is in a different yeah. stratosphere yeah. greatest of all time um, uh, by far yeah so hold on then as we stand right now and we've got 24 hours until we make predictions on that match who are you picking well Matt and I are in a corner here <laughs> I think we're in the same corner I think we, we all are are we all in the same corner in that we all picked team before I, I the picked, tournament I picked that quarter final and have I picked, I picked team I winning it you have yes I can't remember what I picked <laughs> <laughs> and well, really, nothing I've seen should really change change my mind, I suppose. I really have been impressed by Dominic Team. I know he sort of dropped what you could perceive as a couple of unnecessary sets maybe against Alex Bolt, but yeah, I really have been impressed by Dominic Team, And 
I think he's ready to do this. I think he's ready, yeah. Wow. The, the winner of that match would face the winner of Zverev and... Wawrinka. Wawrinka. Oh, Wawrinka. Wawrinka yeah. against oh. Daniel Medvedev this afternoon was just joyous um, because Medvedev... I don't, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying Medvedev played his best tennis. I didn't watch the whole match, but they went into it. They went all the way. They went five sets. Um, it was just. I felt it was just a lovely contrast of generations, really, of Medvedev's everything he brings to the table versus everything Stan brings to the table. Medvedev was happy with the tennis he played. Was he? He said, "I've no no regrets." He said, "Look, I could pick out the odd shot here and there," but he said, "Basically, I played really well." And Vavrinka right. was just incredible and better than me today and deserve to win I just thought it was a fascinating match up in terms of I think I said to you at (laughs) lunch stroke dinner whatever time we ate this today it was a slightly strange time Um, you say today it's 1am okay yesterday (laughs) Um, who's the alpha I was thinking because Wawrinka loved beating Sitsipas at the French Open he loved just putting him in his box for just just that tournament to say I'm still here you know I've been away I'm still here and I think he got that same satisfaction out of beating Medvedev today and he also said Wawrinka that this was the best he's played since the surgery wow which are, that's a couple which, of years which are isn't big it? words because he played pretty well at, at times last year particularly that Wawrinka match but he thought this was uh, a Sitsipas match sorry yeah. the Sitsipas match but he thought this was a level up and I, I would agree with him I went out for the final set it was a joy. It was <laughs> such a joy. I, fa- I found myself just laughing at, this, at the, the crack of the ball as it connects with his strings is unlike anything else in tennis. And the winners he hits off both wings is unlike anything else in tennis. And it's basically unbeatable when but, he plays like plus, that. Plus, when he follows those, those ground strokes with a winner and a roar... Mm one of his own roars it just it has the whole stadium with him doesn't it and we were saying Catherine that we think his pointing to the head is one of the more iconic the images most. most iconic image that you see on a tennis court at the moment in terms of a player's it's, celebration there aren't very many iconic celebrations doing the rounds at the moment no that is a good show one show me yeah. a more iconic celebration than the Favrinka head point it's very signature isn't it and it's also useful if you do social media like I do because it works <laughs> in emojis <laughs> <laughs> um, so I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Um, just, just on Medvedev, sorry, I think it links in with the, what Mats Valanda was saying um, on our podcast yesterday in his chat with you, David, in that he was talking about Medvedev's physicality maybe not quite being there, and we were questioning that. Yeah. Well, he's never won a five-setter, Medvedev. He's now zero wins what? and six losses. Now, Really? Wow. It's strange, isn't it? I don't... I still don't necessarily think it's a physical thing. I didn't feel physical today. I just think he got outplayed in that yeah. in that fifth set. Well, and there is there is a mental element to a fifth set there match, is. not just surviving it, but winning it. Mm. You know, can you elevate when you're tired? Um, and look, he, he he certainly did, obviously against Nadal at the US Open, but he didn't win. Yeah, um, and that's and that's the problem. In these, most of the time, you play five set matches. They're at Grand Slams and. They're often going to be against players like Nadal and Vavrinka, mm. which is a real tough one. Vavrinka's head-to-head against Zverev is 0-2. Right. And but those two matches were 2016 and 2017, which was in the 
the dark period for, for 2017. Yeah, certainly. 2017. And that was peak. Peaks Zverev. Peaks Zverev. Yeah. Who, Although maybe he's peaking who, well, again. Well, the thing yeah. is, suddenly Zverev is bringing he's his happening. tour form to a slam for yeah. the first time. We've never seen this before. And he's into a quarterfinals. He has not dropped a set, 12 out of 12. Uh, and he beat Andrei Rublev today pretty comfortably. Handily. He came on about, I don't know, I don't quite know how long after the Nadal Kyrgios match. 45 minutes after, maybe? And he was finished well before that that match had finished. It kind of just passed passed everyone by, I think. And I think yeah. that I think Zverev's benefited benefited from being not talked about this tournament as a contender because, quite frankly, he said in his very charming and great encore interview, "I didn't think this was happening after the ATP Cup. How could he possibly think that? Because he yeah. was serving." double faults left right and centre he was having a he real meltdown with a, his box what, with his family with his family yeah, yeah. Um, and suddenly he's got here he's much calmer much more confident on the court again he's hitting he's stepping in cracking his backhand which Simon Briggs always describes as like Djokovic's backhand but you know with with the burners on it's even faster um and yeah, he's, he's, he's looking really good. And it, it's nice to see him relaxed and more confident again on the court. Yeah, it is. Um, so yeah, Vavrinka against Zverev. Um, on the women's side today, Garbin Yamagarutha continued this form that she's shown throughout this tournament. So just reminding us of what she used to be like from three years ago. She's beaten Kiki Burton's easily today. Um, who's she play next, Magarutha? Pavlyuchenkova, um, who is with her former coach Sam Sumik. Oh, crikey, that's interesting. And Pavlyuchenkova beat Angelique Kerber today. She hit seventy-one winners <gasps> in that match. It was two tie breaks, and then a, and then a more straightforward one, wasn't it? Yeah. So the head, so head-to-head going in was seven all. Kerber and Pavlyuchenkova. Kind of surprising that they've played that much and that it's been that close. Seven all. Seven all. Yeah. Um, and the match completely bore that out because it was so close and I felt really bad because it was happening on the Margaret mm. Court arena at the same time as Nadal Kyrgios and I think a lot of Margaret Court ticket holders were out in Garden Square or on one of the banks watching one of the screens watching the Nadal Kyrgios match and it was it was an em- it was an empty stadium yeah. it was a real shame because the match was such high quality so good 71 winners yeah in a three set match yeah, yeah. 55 From in the one first player. two sets and it That's was unreal, unreal. When you, unreal. If, if you consider I was going on about how good Kyrgios against Hachinov was the other day Kyrgios hit I think 95 winners in five sets mm. this is 71 winners in three sets mm. yeah against Kerber who yeah. gets everything back yeah and exactly was, and was playing brilliantly herself this is okay it's not the kind of tournament that Kerber has put together in the past and you know she's a three-time Grand Slam champion but this was a positive tournament for Kerber I think based on the form she showed last year she played really well she was just beaten by a player possibly playing one of the best matches they've ever played and as much as um, Muguruza played down the Samsumic element in her post-match press conversation I should say at at the time that she went to press she didn't know whether it was Kerber or Pavlyuchenkova she'd be playing, but she was asked about the the option of facing Pavlyuchenkova. I really do 
get the impression that that is a factor for sure I think it's a factor that Muguruza will respond really well to I mean I don't I, I genuinely don't know what went went on there um, she just describes, you know, needing a different energy and, and Martinez, a cycle running its course. Martinez came into a press today as well, didn't she? She did, yeah. And she she was asked about sort of, do you, do you feel... Do, she was asked, you know, whether you were aware that kind of how natural it felt for you and Muguruza to, to be together, kind of the tennis world sort of willing you to get back together. And I was expecting her to bat that away, that question. And she said, she kind of said, yeah, I, I was aware of that. She said, you know, it's like, it's like Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston. Everybody <laughs> wants them to get back together. <laughs> she said we were like that, which was a, just a lovely little comment. Um, and it's, they both, Muguruza, to, uh, perhaps Matt, you can shed some light on this. She talked about a complicity that's the word she used that she and Conchita have with one another now obviously that's not the right word in English but it's obviously something I can sort of get a sense of what she means by that Mm. she means you know we're on a wavelength and I wonder what it's like when Nadal says um, it's complicated that's a thing in Spanish isn't it And, Um, and when he said infamously now about Kyrgios maleducado which is not anything to do with being badly educated as Kyrgios took that to mean it's, to, it's being rude um, yeah. yeah there are some little subtle yeah. differences that the Spanish players then just translate into English but they do lose a little bit of that meaning Yeah. Um, and, and Muguruza said some interesting things about how she is aware of the fact that the hard court slams are the ones she hasn't won and therefore they do feel a little bit extra important to her she has a mind on yeah. the career I slam fa- I found that really interesting again it was on a, it was a question I was expecting her to bat away I could it, definitely in the way that tennis players it. do mm. you know she was asked this one in the do this one in the in the US Open have heightened importance to you is this something you've discussed with Conchita and she said yeah I wow. am aware of that and I I loved seeing that naked ambition from her because, frankly, that's something I've questioned over the last couple of years, that raw ambition and desire. And I really saw that today. And she's, and not it's the same, great. she's not the same person without that. She, no. she, because I love her attitude and the fact that she walks around like she owns the place. Yeah. And really, you know, when she's at her best, she's just such a presence. And that aura is back on the court with mm. her. And I, yeah. I still can't... I'm, I'm pretty sure that... As surprising as this run is from Muguruza, I don't think any of us were calling it to happen so soon after getting back with no. um, Martinez. It's far less surprising that she's doing this than it was that she fell away altogether. Yeah. That yeah. was the real shock with Muguruza. It's, it feels right now that she's doing this again because we know just how good she is when she's at her best. Muguruza against Pavlichenkova and the other one that was set up today, the other quarterfinal set up today is Simona Halep who beat Elise Mertens in straight sets and, and she was good because Mertens was hitting loads of winners but she still couldn't get the win. Mertens is a far more powerful player than I had yeah. realised. I think it's perhaps because she takes the ball really early. And it comes from timing. And it's, and yeah, time. it's Justine Enan-esque power, isn't it? At 2 I know that's a very lazy comparison because she's Belgian, but it, 
but it is it's power that entirely comes from timing mm. it's, you know, uh, really slight frames and that was a really good match Halep against Mertens yeah. straight off 11 o'clock this morning Halep's playing really well. going to take Halep some alert. and on this court as well this surface it's a you know how do you get the ball past a little it? slower how do you do it well the next player who's going to try to do it is a Nick Contivate who defeated uh, Igor Sviantek today uh, in three sets, three really close sets, tie-break and two seven-fives. Um, Contivate, I'm, st- I'm just so pleased for because, A, I know her coach quite well, Nigel Sears, and I've spoken a lot to him about her over the, over the time when we were commentating together, but also because of how, how unwell she was in, after the US Open, six days in hospital following this stomach infection and missed the whole of the rest of the year. It's incredible, really, that she's come out here and she's never reached a quarterfinal of the grandstand before, and here she is in it. Brilliant. Yeah, that must have been such a big match for her today to get over this hurdle because she's been in, I think, three, four rounds before. And you, you start building up that baggage, don't you? And for her to get over the line in this, in this match was was really impressive because um, Igor Sviantek was playing brilliantly did have a little bit of a hamstring injury it looked like Sviantek um, there was a point in the third set where she looked incredibly hampered and, and then all of a sudden she'd broken back yeah she was charging back at her so for con- so for Contivate to resist that was also deeply impressive yeah I think it's a big ask for her against Halep though I would have thought but mm. we, we shall see in a couple of days time should we hear from Goran Ivanisevic? Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. 
That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Yes, I've okay. heard this interview. It is great. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine with a big sell. Uh, well, yeah, look, we, we know Goran well. We spoke to him a year ago, and I think it was pretty much a year ago to the day and exactly in the same seat in the, the player area near the transportation that, uh, that I ran into him yesterday. An interview I, I, I did for BBC Radio because that's who I'm here for uh, this week, but uh, they've kindly given us permission to use it here on the Tennis Podcast. And... Um, we had a, had a sit down and I, I said a year ago, you know, you just lost your man Milos Raonic in the quarterfinals at the, at the Australian Open. And, and here you are now with Novak Djokovic, who's about to play Milos Raonic in the quarterfinals tonight as we talk to you here at 1am. And I asked Goran how it's going. It's going perfect. You know? <laughs> Hopefully he's going to... S- I mean, talking about rounding, she's going to stay in the quarters like last, <laughs> last year. Uh, but it's going to be he's tough. He's playing very well, he's serving unbelievable, but I think Novak, uh, Novak is in great shape, great form, coming from ATP Cup, winning a lot of confidence, and uh, it's going to be interesting. What, what are you trying to bring to the team with Novak? Craziness. <laughs> I know. I think uh, he's serving better. His second serve uh, is like uh, serving 180, 190 seconds. Uh, he didn't serve like that before. So, are you telling him to do something I different? Don't, I don't. I didn't tell him to serve 190 second serve. But you know, we did some little uh, changes with the ball toss, and uh, now he's confident and he believes that he can serve harder. You know, even first serve, even second serve. You know. And uh, it's tough to teach the guy who is uh, last past nine years uh, the best tennis player uh, in the world. So it's it's it's. Uh, but still, you know, those guys they want to improve every day. That's the different what between them, three of them I'm talking, and uh, young guys because they are not afraid to ask, listen, change. Roger changed something. Rafa changed something. Novak every day wants to learn. Uh, what can I do better? And that's why they're still the best and they're going to be the best because young guys, they, they think they know everything, they think they're smart and they, you, know, you can't tell them anything because they are like... And that's why they are there. That's, uh, that's very interesting because I, um, I was reading a big article, a big interview with Novak today in the New York Times and, and he was saying that. He was saying that, you know, I, I want to learn all the time and, and I, I, I just find that really interesting that... that it never stops. Yeah, sometimes you think, I mean, what a heck you want to learn more. You know, <laughs> everything you've been, you won 16 grand. But, you know, these guys are pushing each other. Young guys are coming, but still they're not consistent enough. And uh, it's great to, as a coach, to have a player like that who wants to listen, who wants to learn, who, is, who wants to, you know, improve every day. And uh, you it's it's really it's really something that you cannot have better better person for that and and also mentality same same language and it's easier for me to talk to explain you know what he's thinking uh, because I was thinking pretty much the same on some difficult moments so it's it's uh, so far it's it's a great uh, great it's working great and Marian 
guy who is the nicest, easiest guy to work with. Marian Vida. Marian Vida. You know, and, uh, you know, in the beginning, you know, I, t- I need to learn a few things, you know, how to approach. No, you know, everybody works different. Everybody is different, you know, and it's a perfect mixture. Marian talks more, I talk less, but, you know, together we, we make the perfect, uh, perfect team. One of the things that I noticed also in this article, it said that I know that Novak, at the end of last year, at the start of this year, stopped working with the, 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 the data analyst, Craig O'Shaughnessy, and, and the article said that that was your thinking, maybe to stop thinking so much about numbers. These statistics, in one way, they are good. Shows you some things, but uh, when it's going too much, I don't like it, you know, because... Uh, too much information you forgot how you have to play in the end when you come on the court you know who cares what the other guys I mean you are the number one in the world let other people think how you're gonna play so we decided uh, that uh, was maybe too much that uh, generally Novak wants to you know like know all the things the things how he did that how he did, but still we can do that by ourselves by watching the matches telling him something but too much philosophy is in the tennis too 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 many you know these wrong people they're becoming important which is wrong i am a old-fashioned guy and uh, i can't say bad words but uh, i don't I, I don't approve it is too much too much statistic it's 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 uh, makes your brain gone <laughs> um just just looking at uh, at the fact that this season started differently this year because the ATP Cup was part of it. I, I did wonder whether and Novak had such a high in front of that crowd and that moment he really and I wondered whether it might be difficult for him to have enough energy to peak again if you like for, for the Australian Open. Now he's had a really good run of, of matches. He, he looks like he's he's got so much in the tank. He hasn't had any long matches. Do you, do you think that that is a factor at all that does it, in terms of approach? No, no, he, he needed he needed ATP Cup. ATP Cup came from the... It's like a gift from the God. Because, uh, first of all, he had a huge help from uh, Lajovic, who won a couple of matches, Troisky doubles. But uh, he needed that for the confidence, you know, because he did not finish the year good in his standards. OK, he lost number one, that's different thing. But uh, he did not perform great in uh, London ATP finals you know he was kind of not there with his mind and he needed something to 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 lift him we had a good uh, preparation in Dubai and he needed that and this came perfectly for his confidence so he is very confident gave him extra energy different kind of energy that uh, you can get only with uh, you know being pumped and he had a great support by uh, Serbian community so I think it's a huge success this ATP Cup yeah it does seem to be just just finally couple two final points what one is Milos next now he's playing really well he's had a good win over Marin today another one another player you coached he, he had a good re- win in the previous round against Stefanos Sitsipas, but he's never got really close to Novak he's zero and nine I mean I just wonder how you assess that match but first of all, uh, Milos, he he's, was never a problem of how good his tennis player he is. He's an amazing tennis player. He's always was problem of his uh, fitness. 
guy plays one month and then three months he's injured. So, you know, if he can stay healthy, he can be easy top five. Easy. Uh, Novak returns well, you know. No, Miller doesn't like when somebody, you know, uh, returns those unbelievable serves and then he's forcing, forcing and from the back Novak is very solid. But he has to be careful. Milos improved from the back. He's playing well. He's attacking. Uh, but it's a different, different story, you know. Playing a uh, guy who gets everything back, and uh, I don't. Chilich was not 100% fit today. Well, there's a lot to unpack there, isn't there? <laughs> Goran Ivanovic. He doesn't. I mean, he did not hold back there about giving information about how the relationship works with, with Novak Djokovic, which I found really interesting in its own right, about how they work together and what he feels he's brought. And also the decision to to move totally away from the data analyst. Big big thing to have done. Yeah, the the wrong people have become important. Yeah, which, you know, and, it, said. And, it, and it's interesting because <laughs> I, I raised... The, the subject with Leon Smith, the Great Britain Davis Cup captain in commentary uh, on BBC Radio. We, we listened to that interview on there um, and asked him what his thoughts were about that. And he, he said he did feel that over the years, tennis had been behind all the other sports in terms of getting data and using statistics. And what had happened in recent years is tennis had suddenly caught up at, a, at an incredible rate. But what has ended up happen, happening is it it's just overwhelmed everything else um and and he said as a coach what you what you have to do and he said i found this when i'm on the coaching bench and the davis cup and stuff i've got all access to all this stuff but the players will there are some players that want to know all of it but there is some of them that just say look just just tell me something simple but that's you know i don't but want that's all the skill this. of a good d- data analyst right yeah that it, it's tran- it's 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 a form of translation it's the, the I I agree. I mean, the the volume of data available in tennis, relative to the quality of data analytics in tennis, has been incredibly poor. You know, you look at the way cricket uses analysis. Um, you know, just just in broadcast terms, is is incredibly insightful and enlightening. And tennis has been behind, but the the skill is in the translation, and. Digesting what's important and uh, presenting that, um, and not yeah, not overwhelming. Just because you've got all this data doesn't mean it's all interesting or pertinent. Quite, I quite liked the way he he discussed their relationship generally as well about how honest he was about how much you can tell a guy who's won sixteen slams, and yet Djokovic is still keen for it. He wants to, he wants going around. He wants to tap into it and just that. You, I often wonder, and we've talked about it because of Thomas Muster and Nicholas Massou, how do two coaches work together? Well, they seem to have got it absolutely worked out. I think Goran said to me before we did the interview, I do two slams, he does two slams, pretty much, um, in terms of the prep and all that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it, he's got no ego about it, does he, about coaching? I think he's so secure in his own self and his own achievements that in being a coach... He doesn't need to have an ego. No, and he doesn't he, need the money either because so, yeah, you know, he's done he's well not, for himself. Yeah, and, you know, it's that you're not able to to be a coach to the best of your ability if you're afraid of being fired. Yeah, yeah I agree. I do agree with that. I, 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 it's the vicious circle, isn't it? It's a, it's a real conundrum. 
So yeah, we'll see what impact Goran can have against his former player, Ramin Lashranich, in tomorrow night's match, because that's the that is the night session match on what day is it? Tuesday. No idea. Tuesday. <laughs> it's Tuesday today, folks. Um, and so the day starts with Sophia Kennan against Ons Jabir. Looking forward to that. Mm. Hmm. I don't, I don't want to ask everybody for predictions because we don't, don't know what we're going for the newsletter yet. Somebody proposed that we should get to reset our pre-tournament predictions at, and, and redo them at the quarterfinal stage because they're so decimated. Because I don't think we've got uh, uh, anybody which, left, which have we? Which is either a great idea... Or we're just going to be wrong twice now. Yeah. <laughs> we have got this one spectacularly wrong, folks. Uh, then it's Ash Barty against Petra Kvitova. Oh, cracking match. match. Shouldn't we're be where it is in the schedule. very confused why it's going to be at about uh, one o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. That, There's that just no way that's like where right that should scheduling. be. I, I think, am I right in thinking that they're using a single night, a single singles match in the night session for the first time this year on Monday and Tuesday I don't remember that being the case last year I'm not sure because I mean I agree with you I do just think the fact is the whole of second week all of the night sessions Mm. are men's matches Mm. exclusively and that is not right it's wrong they do so much right at this tournament and that is not right it's it's one of my biggest bugbears we'll we'll get to it later on in the tournament but the the two women's semi-finals take place in the day on a thursday and then there's a one men's semi-final in the evening and then the men the other men's semi-final gets a whole day to itself and it's the night session match yeah. and it just always feels so wrong i mean so what we're saying is anybody who's at work tomorrow can't see Ash Barty against Petra. I just Kavita. don't. If that if that's a men's Australian world number one, there's just no way that that match is being played there at that time. Well, I mean, it's not, but but it's not just against Ash Barty. It's against. It's just a policy. The no, men's matches they, are in the evening. But if it were a men's Australian world number one, they would bend the policy. Yeah. I mean, oh. I've you know I. I I, it, just, it just wouldn't happen. I just don't understand Whatever. Why, why it's set up this way. I, I'm sure they could sort that out. Mm. And, I, and I'm, I know there are. there's the element of making sure people have enough rest, etc. Well, you need to reorganise the whole yeah, thing there so that, just, that doesn't become a factor. Just start it again. Start, that's you know, chuck it all up in the somebody's air. arms behind their back and saying, oh, we can't let them juggle. Just, it doesn't, it's wrong. That match is followed by a tennis sangren against Roger Federer, um, not before 2.30 local time. Then Milos Ranić Djokovic in the evening session. Have we got anything on Margaret Court Arena? We've got the doubles. No, we haven't got any other singles matches. Should say as well, uh, the Bryan brothers lost today, and that means their Australian Open careers have come to an end. And, uh, well, what a great credit they've been. And Emotional they're, they're, scenes. Yeah, and they've got their families out there, I think, and they are going to have... It's basically a lap of honour now, isn't it, for, yeah. for the rest of the year, which I, I'm really chuffed about. I think, obviously, every every player can decide how they want to retire. Simona Halep was actually asked in her press conference the other day, have you, based on Wozniacki, not that you're going to retire, but have you thought about how you might like to? And she said she thinks she'll be uh, announce, announce it before the tournament and then she'll be out of here, a bit like Wozniacki. But I do quite like the idea of this victory lap or for, lap of honour. And, and it like. wouldn't suit necessarily everybody, no. but for them who give so much, who yeah. are always prepared to step up and help a tournament or or 
sign an autograph or do an interview, whatever, they can get their moment in the sun I think everywhere it, they go. I think it depends whether you whether you like goodbyes. I mean, I, I, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle a whole year of everywhere you go. Everybody's thinking, oh, will this be the last time I see you? <laughs> I'd better, you know, people like, oh, I'd better give you a big emotional goodbye just in case it's the last time. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> I would One and keep done. It a se- yeah. Or not even that, not I even mean, announce it. I mean, you know, it. it'd be nice to have a, <laughs> you know, a cake. I'd, I'd happily just ring it out everywhere I go. Yeah. <laughs> 18 cakes with 18 yeah. tournaments. Oh, just, just, you know. Let me have a nice lap of honour. Just, just make me feel good everywhere I go. That's fine. <laughs> right. Okay. But you'd have that awkward, like, you'd have said goodbye to somebody the round before, and then you'd see them again. It'd be like, oh, did we do that emotional goodbye again? Like, I, it's just honestly, I'd be, it's an I'd be, anxiety dream. I'd be fine with that. Right. Just give me fuss. Different people. Just, just fuss around me, folks. It's fine. Uh, Matt? I was just going to say, last thing on today, we should probably mention that the... Uh, ceremony to honour Margaret Court's 50th anniversary of winning the Calendar Grand Slam happened. It was buried, should I say, in in a in a press release that it was going to happen um, at 6:45, 15 minutes before the night session, and the whole uh, ceremony was very dumbed down in compared to what they did with Rod Laver last year I went back and watched the one for Rod Laver and Rod Laver had a chance to speak and Novak Djokovic was on the court with him at the same time and they made a a real fuss of him they didn't do the same for Margaret Court and she wasn't given the chance to speak for example um, and the whole thing just felt like something that it was a box ticking exercise, box I think, ticking for, exercise. from the from tennis Australia. Yeah. I have to say, I mean, as just as a PR move, I think that they were very clever. They got Rod Laver out onto yes. the court yes. with her, and ha- and if if anybody did come out with the intention of booing, they'd have basically been booing Rod Laver. Mm-hmm. Not that yeah. not him directly, but he would have that would have been how it came across, and it that. How could you do that? And their wording was very specific. We're honouring her achievement. Yes. Not her. As you say, it's it's clever from a PR perspective. I totally understand why they did it that way, but it, it's a fudge. It, you either do it and stand by doing it and say, look, we believe in the detachment of somebody's achievements from their beliefs. We, we believe in that principle and we are going to honour these achievements and, and therefore Fully. honour those achievements with gusto because those achievements are tremendous or say you cannot detach those two things and we don't think it's appropriate to honour her and don't yeah yeah I, I, I think I agree with you um, I, I end up seeing it from their perspective as well just because I'm I suppose I'm in that business and I see how they've tried to do it um, but yeah ultimately I, I, I agree with you uh, John McEnroe very, very strongly uh, against what they uh, what they did. By the way, he spoke out about it um, on on Eurosport, didn't he? So that's that uh, for another tennis podcast. Hope you're enjoying them, uh, folks. And we've got a, a three shout outs to three of our backers that have enabled us to be here. How many of the, them live in Casa del Law? Well, let's find out, shall we? <laughs> Who have we got? Laura Myers. No, don't know Laura, but Laura, <laughs> Laura, you're amazing. So thank you for backing the tennis podcast. Aaron Bearden. Aaron, you're a top bloke. 
Thank you. <laughs> Not in your house? No. Never met him, but love him. And Scott Johnson. Scott, I tell you, me and Scott. <laughs> never, never met him, but gr- what a bloke. Scott, good lad. Thanks for your backing. Thank you all Seriously. very much. Have you noticed how I'm picking the ones with the easier to pronounce names? <laughs> I am noticing that. However, we, we do try very hard and we will continue to. Um, and uh, yeah, so thanks everybody for, for, for the support. And yeah, keep telling people about the tennis podcast because if you like it, maybe someone else you know will like it. Tell them. Leave us a review on iTunes if you haven't yet. Join our Reddit community, which uh, has a link in our show notes. Don't forget as well the uh, the Fever Tree Championships hospitality packages that we were talking about at the start of the show. It's amazing. Go and have a VOP day out at the Queen's Club. Link in our show notes. And yeah, don't forget our newsletter because uh, Matt's stat will be waiting for you as will our predictions for tomorrow. Although why you want to see those, I don't really know given how good we are. <laughs> Just for a laugh, you know, have a laugh at us. Uh, Catherine's thinking, hold on, actually I'm winning the prediction. So no, you can come. I'm reluctant to gloat too much on the predictions front. Well, you are winning that bit. I'm, I'm losing spectacularly. And in fact, that bit is the bit where there's a really excellent graph. <laughs> there's, there's a graphic. She's actually got a graphic. <laughs> she's, she's, it is I didn't, I didn't make the graphic, but it is she looks, so great. She spent about 10 minutes just looking at the graphic. Someone is in the minus numbers. <laughs> right, see you tomorrow, folks. <laughs> Bye. 